John MacArthur, noted minister and evangelist, said that, quote, the thrust of the book, The Purpose Driven Life, is at odds with the message of Scripture. The true gospel is a call to self-denial, not self-fulfillment. The gospel is a message about redemption, not about life's purpose, unquote. You see, MacArthur states that the purpose-driven life is in direct contravention with the Bible. He is telling us that the purpose-driven life isn't about the central issues of the gospel at all. It is not a focus on the saving work of Christ or on God's grace to us as sinners. No. What it really does is focus on how you can benefit from Christianity as your religion of choice. After all, it's all about you and your choices, right? It seems as if Dr. Warren has put his emphasis on marketing and not the gospel of Christ. He has merely written a self-help guide that looks and sounds a lot like something that would be written by a secular psychologist with a few references to God sprinkled in. Dr. Warren uses terms like self-actualization, life metaphor, and relational bridges, all terms that you could hear at your local secular head shrinker's office for about $150 an hour. The purpose-driven life is an attempt to bring the believer into fellowship by luring him or her with the pleasures of the flesh, by telling him or her things that will appeal to his or her carnal nature, or quite simply put, the fleshly sin nature. This is exactly what the Bible opposes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, which states, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We are, as Christians, told explicitly to separate ourselves from worldly things. So if we, as Christians use worldly allure to bring unbelievers into our churches, we are disobeying God's command to be separate. We should not be trying to win men's hearts and minds over to God by marketing to the very sin that separates them from God. The proof that this marketing ploy is being used by Dr. Warren and over 400,000 other pastors in churches all over the world is stated in the foreword of the Purpose Driven Church. The foreword was written by deceased, now deceased, W.A. Criswell, pastor emeritus of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. He wrote, quote, If churches are to be successful in evangelizing our society, which is becoming more pagan by the day, they must learn to think like an unbeliever, unquote. Wait just a minute here. You mean to tell me that if I want to reach an unbelieving acquaintance, that I should probably go to the bar with him in order to be able to speak to him about Christ? Or maybe I should attend a heavy metal rock concert with him, or maybe go to the strip club with him. I'm sure that he'll want to hear about the gospel at any one of those venues, right? I think not. This is compromise. 
And compromise was never something that Jesus utilized or engaged in to win lost souls. Jesus never compromised the truth. It is obvious that the purpose-driven life and the purpose-driven church leave out or omit parts of the truth and only advocate the parts of the truth that they think will be attractive to unbelievers. The fact is that if you don't tell unbelievers the whole truth and nothing but the truth, you are misleading them. And that is something that Jesus stood firmly against. Omission or addition to the scriptures is an unholy sin, and those taking part in it will be punished by Almighty God. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Revelation 22:19. Here are two very strident admonitions in scripture that no one should add to or omit anything when it comes to God's word. According to the Bible, anyone that does so can expect total irrevocable punishment by God. Doesn't Dr. Warren and those others that espouse this false doctrine know about these warnings in the Bible? Aren't they aware that what they are doing is an abomination to God? Don't they know that God will punish them for it? If they are aware of these warnings and admonitions against addition or omission, and they continue to falsify doctrine anyway, I must assume that they are just ignoring these warnings. And if they are ignoring these warnings, then I must assume that they just don't believe that these portions of the Bible are true and without any error. This type of cavalier attitude toward the Bible is dangerous and falls in line with how they appear to deliver their particular brand of Christianity to unbelievers. They only pay attention to what they think is relevant and they dismiss that which they think is not relevant. This type of evangelization, this delivery of Christianities to unbelievers is unfair to unbelievers. How are unbelievers to know the whole truth if you fail to or refuse to tell them the whole truth? Where is the truth in advertising in regards to Christianity here? Are unbelievers being sold a bill of goods by some snake oil salesmen that call themselves pastors or men of God? Well, if these pastors and evangelists and theologians are failing to deliver the whole gospel truth to unbelievers, then the answer is a resounding yes. This type of heretical gospel delivery system is called selective theology and the dangers of utilizing it are incredible, and the costs to unbelievers staggeringly high. But these heretics continue to use this method, for it fills church seats and keeps the church coffers full. 
And I suppose that is what the heretic's bottom line is, after all. Chapter 4, The Roots of Deceit. Let me begin by saying that I hope you are beginning to see that there is something in the purpose-driven and emergent philosophies that is devoid of true Christianity. There are profound absences of sound Christian doctrinal thought in these philosophies, which make them heretical and apostate, and that makes them anathema to the Christian. But where do these philosophies come from? Where did this type of thinking originate? What is the purpose of it? And where's the real danger in it? As you read on, I will show you that these modern philosophies of thought are really not as modern as they are being advertised to be. In fact, they are as ancient as man himself, and these ancient philosophies were being presented to the human race as far back as the Garden of Eden. Yes, these philosophies were introduced to Adam and Eve, the very first humans, by that old serpent himself, Satan. You will see that the very core doctrines of these new philosophies of thought have not changed at all from Satan's original attempt to deceive mankind. They are still being used today as attempts to deceive us, just as Satan used these arguments and philosophies in the garden. This satanic deception worked quite well with Adam and Eve. It looks as if Satan has employed the old, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, adage. If it worked in the garden, it'll work everywhere else in the world. Now, while there wasn't a name uh, attached to this philosophical thought in the Bible, there certainly is a name attached to it today. That name is the New Age Movement, or NAM. If we were to employ the truth in advertising principle regarding the NAM or the New Age movement, we would have to call it same old lie, different packaging. Make no mistake, Satan's oldest lie is exactly what most people are being told are new ideas. So, it might help if we give the New Age movement a specific definition in order to more fully understand what its concepts really are. The New Age movement is both a religious and a social movement that is multifocused and multifaceted in its philosophical thought, which employs varying degrees of Far Eastern mystical religions such as Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, and Western occultism. The New Age movement is a conglomeration of these occult religious systems which has been adapted to fit Western materialistic culture. The more prominent forms of the New Age movement expression were made popular between 1688 and 1772 by Emanuel Swedenborg and transcendentalists like Henry David Thoreau, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and early American literary giant Wordsworth in the 1800s. The New Age movement expression kicked into a higher gear in the late 1800s 
as Madame Helena Blavatsky founded the Theosophy Movement, which we will explore later in this book, as we will find that much of Theosophy's thought and practice is prevalent in modern New Age movement activities. The decade of the 1960s in particular experienced a heated revival of Far Eastern mystical occult thought and practice when yoga, transcendental meditation, and Zen Buddhism moved to the front of the religious thought line, mainly using rock music played by newly introduced rock and roll music groups. While the New Age movement is not a traditionally unified system of beliefs and practices, it has gained wide popularity in a diversity of organizations that operate in political, economic, and religious areas of influence and affect almost every aspect of our existence in today's world. While the New Age movement does not appear to have an organized agenda, it has gained enormous influence in secular and religious society around the world. Here are some examples of where this evil, heretical philosophical thought has gained a foothold in secular society. The Club of Rome. The Californian New Age Caucus. The Planetary Initiative for the World We Choose. Amnesty International. New World Alliance. The United Nations. This is not an all-inclusive list, list, but is just a small percentage example of New Age movement's reach and influence. It goes far deeper than you might imagine. We will delve deeper as you read through this book. The New Age movement has also influenced, or rather infected, areas of religious society as well. It has greatly influenced and infected the church. Here are some examples. The Church Universal and Triumphant, Christian Science, the Unification Church, the World Council of Churches, the World Ecumenical Council, and L. Ron Hubbard's Dianetics. These are just a few, uh, a minute few examples that demonstrate the New Age movement's range of influence. And as I stated before, it really goes far deeper than you might think. As with any movement, there must be a goal in mind. Every movement is purpose-driven. The New Age movement is no different. It has a definite goal. Please read this very carefully. The main purpose of the New Age movement is to usher in a new world order by unifying the world's religions, economic systems, and government. The New Age movement will accomplish this goal through the leadership of the Christ, who New Agers call Lord Maitreya, who will teach the world to live in total peace in harmony with one another. Christians call this leader of the New World Order the Antichrist, or the Beast, as he is referred to in Revelation 13. So, obviously, the views of the New Age movement and Christianity are completely 
and totally opposed to one another. It is worth noting that the New Age movement's requirements for a person to be able to enter the New Age will be that each person will have to partake in a, quote, Luciferic initiation, unquote, their words, not mine, and pledge their allegiance to this Christ, who will be their new world order leader. This new world order is also referred to by New Age Movement adherents as, and this will sound very familiar to you, the Age of Aquarius, where all will be peace, safety, and love. It would also be worth noting what the Bible says about this period in mankind's future. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, quote, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Unquote. The New Age movement's goal of peace and safety will ultimately only result in their own demise, according to the Bible. While the New Age movement professes an open-mindedness to all religions, it is actually a carefully calculated plan to destroy Christian beliefs with a mixture of occultism and a very ancient belief system known as Gnosticism which states that man in is his own divine essence, or that through discoveries made by man, through his own intuition, he can achieve a subconscious deity himself. In essence, the belief is that man can become, or actually is, God. Sound familiar? It should. It's exactly what Satan tried to convince Eve of in the Garden of Eden, Remember what Satan said to Eve, quote, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Unquote. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. A more contemporary rendering of what Satan asked Eve would be, Did God actually say? Satan inferred to Eve that God should not have placed any restrictions on them in the garden. Satan centered his argument to Eve on that one restriction. By doing this, he knew that he was, one, casting doubt on God's word, two, tempting Eve to question God's authority, and three, opening man to disobedience to God. Satan then continued, quote, And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die, unquote. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Satan openly questioned God's authority in this statement, but he wasn't done yet. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, he said, quote, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil, unquote. It was at this moment that the New Age movement was born. Satan gave birth to it in the garden and has faithfully continued to promulgate it throughout mankind's history. Let's take a further look at why this is fact. 
there are six distinct thought philosophies associated with New Age thinking. One, all is one. Two, all is God. Three, humanity is God. Four, change in consciousness. Five, all religions are one. And six, the concept of cosmic evolutionary optimism. There are also 14 primary doctrines of New Age religions. They are as follows. One, God is impersonal or a force. Two, the universe is eternal. Three, the nature of matter is illusory. Four, life is cyclical in nature. Five, reincarnation is necessary. Six, we will receive more revelations from beings beyond Earth's boundaries. Seven, man will eventually evolve into God. Eight, man's present identity is God. Nine, consciousness changing techniques. Ten, Occult practices such as astrology, fortune-telling, tarot card reading, etc. 11. Holistic health practices and vegan diets. 12. Pacifism. Can't we all just get along? 13. A global one-world government. And 14. Unity of all religions. Now, there are many forms of the New Age movement, and many of them are cleverly disguised. There are some, however, that are extremely blatant. All of them should be recognized for what they really are, satanic lies. It is very important for Christians to be able to recognize even the most cleverly disguised forms of New Age thinking, for it is permeating every aspect of religious thought as it has been designed to do, and Christianity is its main target. The most obvious unifying principles of the New Age movement should be examined and explained also in order to more easily recognize them. This is important because many of these unifying themes of NAM, the New Age movement, are quietly creeping into most of our churches. Bear in mind that the New Age movement's themes are totally contradictory to the true gospel of Christ. Let's review them. How about life after death or reincarnation? Reincarnation is primarily a Hindu concept, which teaches that through a long series of rebirths, man can reach spiritual perfection. This indicates that man experiences many physical deaths and returns to earth in another incarnate form. This form does not always have to be human. The Bible says, quote, For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment, unquote. That's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. 
the New Age movement source of authority. New Age adherents have no real source of authority or external source of authority. They believe that the inner man is the source of authority because God is in all and all is God. The Christian source of authority is the Bible. And the Bible says, quote, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. New Agers do not hold a traditional Christian view of Satan. To them, he is a being of light and the ruler of humanity, a great benevolent hero, according to many that adhere to the Theosophy movement. To New Agers, Satan is not out to destroy mankind. He is out to help us unify and become better as human beings. The Bible describes Satan quite differently. Quote, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Unquote. That was 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Also, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Quote, this is Jesus talking to the uh, Pharisees. He says, quote, ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Unquote. Hmm. Satan doesn't sound so benevolent in the Christian source of authority, does he? Of course, Satan will be portrayed as benevolent in the New Age movement because new, the New Age movement is in direct contrary thought to the Bible. But remember, Satan is the father of lies, and we should expect nothing less than lies from him. Let's examine sin. New Agers believe that because man is actually a divine being, that there is no such thing as sin. They believe that since there is no sin, then there is no need for repentance from sin or forgiveness of sin. This heretical doctrine negates God's plan of salvation. New Agers believe that because every man is God, that sin cannot exist because of each and every man's inner divinity. New Age movement adherents generally describe sin as an ignorance of one's own divinity. Conversely, the Bible says, quote, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It also says in John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ah, here we go. Jesus Christ. And we are going to continue our observation of the New Age movement's 
opposition to good Christian doctrine in our next segment. So tune in uh, for the completion of chapter four and the beginning of chapter five in our next segment. <laughs> 